Elementary kids, you guys can head on out. I'm glad that not all of us can hit the notes that Wyatt can or there won't be any more stained glass windows left in the building. I was almost there. I mean, I was just not even close. So those of you that are uh, new with us, uh, we're doing a study in 1 Peter. Um, So we're actually just going to dive right in this morning. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. In the Pew Bibles, it's page 1111. Yes, 1 Peter chapter 4, the first word in chapter 4 is the word therefore, and so anytime you're studying scripture and you see that word, you need to ask yourself, what's the therefore, okay, or in other words, what is it referring to? So as a brief reminder, Let's remember that Peter is writing this letter to a group of churches kind of surrounding uh, Rome in the early 60s AD at a time when the Christian church is under some ever-intensifying persecution. Trouble is coming. Severe trials and tests are on their way. And so Peter is trying to encourage uh, these young Christians to stand firm in their faith, faith in the presence of this coming suffering. And he's also reminding them of this spiritual reality that they have an enemy, Satan, who is hell-bent on destroying their life, their church, the Christian faith. So that's kind of the overarching theme of the first three chapters. Um, And so now as we begin chapter four, Peter is saying, therefore, or in light of that, Live this way. And then he goes on to explain some things here. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, Lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Let's pause there for a moment. So, Peter starts off by saying, since Christ suffered, basically, you will too. And Jesus told us this. In John 20, 21, he said this, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And the Father, we know, sent the Son to die, to lay his life down. That was his mission. So as Christ's followers then, living in his footsteps, we know that we are called to do the very same thing. That's why Jesus said things to, the, uh, to us like this. Deny yourselves, right? Take up your cross and follow me. So if that's our calling as Christ's followers, then what should our posture and our perspective be as we live life, Peter says, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. In other words, don't expect that your life is going to be any different than Jesus's. Okay? Expect that it's going to be difficult. Life here in America, especially, 
we have to remember that it's not about us being comfortable and life being easy. We're called to die. And so Peter says, arm yourselves. And for whatever reason, all I could think about when I heard that phrase this week is, you know that Saturday Night Live skit where Tina Fey pretends like she's Sarah Palin, you know, and she's like, you know, with her gun. It's like, that's all I could think about for some reason. So if that helps you, go there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up or just scratch it from your memory forever. So Peter is saying to us, load up, right? Put on the full armor of God. Prepare yourselves for battle. And and, and he goes on in other parts of this book to say, don't be surprised when trouble comes, when persecution comes, as if something surprising were happening. I'm telling you, it's going to be difficult. What does that mean in verse 1 where he says this? Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. That's kind of a troubling phrase there. <clears throat> well, I, I, this is what I think it means, okay? This is an, an oft-debated uh, phrase. So I think it means this, that those Christians in this world throughout time, uh, past and present, who have entered into some pretty intense suffering and persecution, maybe to the point where even their life has been at stake for their faith in Christ, that those folks... Um, that the, the things of this world, because they've been so sharpened and, and kind of tested in their faith, the things of this world that would normally have a control on some of us, just don't distract them. Their lives are no longer dominated by sin. Their affections are not in the things of this world. Their, their primary desire is to do and know the will of God. Because as they're, they're suffering, the persecution has come and it's happening all over our world today, they've had to cling to Jesus so tightly just to get through that time that they don't really have any more arms to cling to anything else in this world. And, and I'm not sure that any of us can really relate to that kind of suffering, but I, that's kind of the image I get here of what Peter's describing. But I loved verse 3 in that passage where he says this, For you have spent enough time in the past. Man, that could be a whole sermon series in itself, couldn't it? I mean, have you ever felt that way? You've gotten to those places in your life where you're just like, man, (laughs) I've spent enough time there. I've been on this cycle. I'm stuck in this pattern. I've spent so much time in the past. I just want to move on. And I do know this, is that our enemy, Satan, constantly wants to take us back. He wants to take us back to our old failures and force us to relive those things again and again, filling us with regret and shame and condemnation. And we need to know that when that happens in our life, that that is not God, that that's not who he is, but that's what Satan loves to do. But Peter says to us, you've spent enough time there. Let's move forward. You know, God, um, in his life, in, in our life with him, he wants us to live in the present with him. He's saying, listen, I want you to be aware of what I'm doing in your life and in this world around you right now. Right now, be with me here. And I'm not sure that any of us, um, oh, I'm sorry. Also, he said this, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, but I think is another great reminder for us. He said, and this is a verse many of you know, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, right? The old is gone. The new is here. The new is here. You spend enough time in the past. And man, that is probably one thing that if I took anything away, probably a little bit over a year ago, 
Um, I went through a season of just counseling. I just asked, I actually asked all of our staff to, to go through some counseling just to make sure that we were doing okay, just to kind of check in on us, uh, our, our emotional health, our spiritual health. And one of the things that I really took away from my time with the counselor was, was this, is that all of us, and I did it too, you know, depending on what's happened to us at various seasons of our life, the ways that we've been hurt or gone through various trials, that we all develop these ways of coping, these self-protective mechanisms uh, to kind of get through. And for me, kind of growing up as a child, um, there was, you know, some rough times in, in my family life. And I, uh, to kind of help get me through those things, I kind of adapted and took on some things that, that I guess helped me at the time that I thought were helping me. But now I can look back and see how I really kind of walled myself off emotionally, which now makes it very difficult for me to emote with others very well. I also know that I became very self-focused as a way to kind of shut everything else and everybody else out so I could just kind of focus on doing what I thought I needed to do to kind of get to the place in life where I wanted to experience something different. And while those attitudes and perspectives might have helped me for a season to kind of survive things and get through things, the longer that I held on to those things into my adulthood, they started to become more destructive in the relationships that I was in. And so those things that once were a help to me now became a hindrance. And now that Christ had redeemed me at at a certain point in my life and he he took those burdens away from me, I didn't have to continue living in that self-protective manner anymore. And I remember the day that the counselor looked at me and he said, Bob, you don't have to live like that any longer. And that was a powerful moment for me to be like, man, you're right. (laughs) Why do I keep hanging on to these old ways of living and perceiving and interacting when I don't need to do it any longer? I was now free to live and love others because Christ was sufficient for me now. I don't have to put up walls around my heart any longer. And so there's a segment of people here this morning that if only, if all you walk away from my message with is this, I think Christ wants to say this to you. You have spent enough time in the past. And there's some folks that maybe needed to hear that today. Let's move forward with this new life that God has for you. I want you to skip down to verse 7. Peter says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So we have to read that statement, and we're going to kind of go one verse at a time here for a while. So um, we have to read that statement in context because I don't think that Peter is saying like literally the end of all things is near, like the world's going to end. I think what he's trying to say here is the end of life as you know it is coming to an end, specifically to this church. Persecution is coming. Trouble is coming. Okay? I think he's trying to wake them up to this reality that life is going to get harder. He's trying to communicate to them a sense of urgency. He's trying to equip them with a mindset and a skill set that they might honor God in the way that they live and interact during this season of challenge that he knows is just around the corner for them. Today, in our context, we might read that statement in verse 7 more like this. In light of a ticking clock, in light of the reality that our time on earth here is brief, be alert and sober-minded 
so that you may pray. In contrast to verses 3 and 4 in that old self-centered way that you used to live in the past, live in this new way, he's saying. And we have to know a little bit about Peter's, the author's story to understand how ironic it is that he's saying this. Because Peter was one of the least sober-minded people that you would ever meet, right? He was like a loose cannon. I mean, he was constantly saying and doing things that got him in trouble. At one point, Jesus called him Satan, okay? So this guy was, he struggled. Alertness and sober-mindedness were not his M.O. But along the course of his life, he watched Jesus And especially in the time of Jesus' story where the heat is turned up the most, where his his last days are, are coming to a close and he's on the evening of the night that he gets arrested, Peter watches Jesus go into the Garden of Gethsemane and pray. And in that moment where things seem to be falling apart and they're the most out of control, Peter watches Jesus Say to God, hey, not my will, but yours be done. Is that our posture? When circumstances are rough in our life, when life throws us a curveball or two, are we sober-minded or are we panicked? Are we sober-minded or are we lost in trying to escape through distraction, kind of burying our head in the sand, getting ourselves caught up in other things to just take our mind off of what's wrong? Are we sober-minded or are we trying to control everything and everyone? It's a good question to ask. And that night when Jesus was praying, when he knew that the hours of his life were drawing to a close, he gathered up three of his 12 disciples, Peter, James, and John, kind of his three tightest buddies, and he said, hey, I want you to come with me. I want you to be on watch, and I want you to pray. I'm going to go over here and have a conversation with God, but I want you to be in this with me. But as Jesus prayed and came back to check on his buddies, guess what they were doing? They fell asleep, not just once, but multiple times. Okay, so when Peter is saying to us today, hey, be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray, (laughs) he's saying from experience, hey, do what I didn't do in the garden. Be more like Jesus than I was in that moment, okay? He also uses that same wording, that be alert and sober-minded in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind." Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert. In light of a ticking clock, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Not so that you can fix life on your own, but so that you might pray to the one who controls your life and allow him to do whatever with his circumstances he's going to do. Let's look at verse 8. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So in light of a ticking clock, love, love each other deeply, he says to these churches, because love covers over a multitude of sins. And I love that beautiful command that he gives us there. 
I came across this quote this week that I thought was just powerful. It says this, Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every act in his action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. Maybe you can relate with me. When you've been in conversations, even with brothers and sisters who are Christians, and you know those people that when you're talking face-to-face or you're on the phone, that are just looking for words of yours to take and to twist and to, to question your motives and to be suspicious of your intentions, and you feel like you're just like measuring every word <laughs> because you just don't feel like they, they believe the best about you. And then you have those other people who you feel like, I could say just about anything, no matter how foolish sometimes, and because they know my heart, they're, they're going to be gracious and know that I'm just, sometimes I'm going to just say some things that I don't mean or say it in a way that might come across differently, but I know that I have that freedom to be like that around them, and, and, and they can be okay with me. And there's a huge difference between those two. Love covers over. And again, when, when we're reading these words from Peter, we have to remember the, the life of the author. Because Peter blew it a lot. He, he, he did a lot of frustrating things for Jesus. Right, He fell asleep instead of being there in the moment with him when he was praying in this intense moment right before he's arrested. When he does get arrested, Peter whips out the, the knife and cuts off the, the ear of the guard. One of the guards is coming to arrest him. Later on that night when questioned, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? He denies him three times. Again and again, Peter blows it and he sins on many different accounts. But what did the resurrected Jesus do for Peter? How did he treat him? Even in the light of all those mistakes. This is a question for you guys. What do you know about the story? Don't make this more complicated than it has to be. Some of you know the story. Dave, help me out. Uh, Jesus welcomed him. Jesus welcomed him. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Jesus came in his resurrected body. Peter was out fishing. He said, hey, guys, I'm cooking you breakfast, right? Come on in. Peter comes in, and they have this conversation. Jesus doesn't mention Peter's failures at all. He just gives him this opportunity to reaffirm his love for him and to restore that relationship right? He covered over Peter's sins with his love. He didn't excuse his sins, but he forgave him. So what's our spirit or attitude towards others who have sinned? Is our spirit or attitude to shelter people or to expose people? Do we eagerly gossip and slander others? Or do we look for ways to cover over people's mistakes 
with kindness and forgiveness, seeking to restore the relationship instead of rubbing their faces in it. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person. I want us to be a church that covers over the sins of our brothers and sisters, that loves them despite themselves sometimes, right? To live in an awareness that there's a clock ticking so that we're not wasting time on petty things and that we're spending our time in love. Amen? Yes. Verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why is the phrase without grumbling tacked onto the end there? What do you guys think? What's that? People love to complain, right? Offering hospitality is difficult. And Peter is he's kind of acknowledging the potential pitfalls that are going to come. Because sometimes when you invite people into your life and into your home, they eat more food than you would like them to, right? They use more of your hot water than you would prefer. They snore louder in the other room than you would rather they did. They sit in your favorite chair and they take your remote control like it's their own, right? Yes, all these things happen. Have you guys seen the movie, What About Bob? I mean, I personally love the movie. Because what about me, right? But um, <clears throat> so brief setup, if you haven't seen this movie. How many people have not seen What About Bob? Oh, to your shame, to your shame. So anyways, Bob, Bill Murray plays Bob. And he's got lots of problems. OCD, attachment disorders, germaphobe, okay? And he starts meeting with this new... Uh, therapist, Richard Dreyfus, who plays Dr. Leo Marvin. And they've just begun this relationship, but Dr. Marvin is going away for vacation. And so he leaves for vacation, and Bob can't stand the separation. So he finds out where he went on vacation, and he gets on a bus and goes there with his fish gill, right? And he arrives there, much to the chagrin of Dr. Marvin, and basically finds him and finds his house and, and pretty much invites himself over for dinner. Watch. If you haven't seen it, go get it. Because it is hilarious. One of my kids' favorites as well. So, being hospitable is tough. So we need to ask for love in in a way that we can (laughs) offer it when the natural default in us would be to want to complain, right? You turn the lights back up for me too. Thank you. Let's look at verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So in light of a ticking clock, use the gifts that God has given you to serve others. And the better translation of that passage is this. Each of you should use whatever grace you have received. So steward the grace that you've received in various forms. So each one of us has been bestowed, been given by God some unmerited favor, some unmerited grace. 
And so what Peter is saying here is that as you live life, use this grace, this unmerited grace, bestow it on others freely as you serve them. Look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So he says, if anyone speaks, and when he says that, he's not talking about speaking in front of church like I'm doing now, or like if you have the gift of speaking, do these things. He's talking about the way in which you speak to one another. And, and I, I think it, it's helpful as we look at these, this verse to think about the one another verses in Scripture. And as it relates to speaking, we hear verses like this, encourage one another, admonish one another, which means to express warning or disapproval, confess your sins to one another. So in light of a ticking clock, you, when you encourage, when you admonish, when you confess, Do it with the confidence of one speaking the very words of God, freely dispensing the grace that you've been given. Then he says, if anyone serves, again, if we look at it through the lens of the one another verses, we have verses that say things like this, bear one another's burdens, love one another, forgive one another. And as we do those things, dispense God's grace through service. And he says, do it with a strength that's not your own. So when we serve, when we have people over to dinner that are eating your corn and your favorite piece of chicken, right? He says, do it, pray that God would give you the strength to do it in a more gracious way than you even feel like you have. Because what we have to all realize, and I've said this many times, is that we have the power of the living God inside of us. And so we've got as much grace and love and patience and forgiveness as we want to allow to come out. (laughs) It's just a matter of us getting out of the way of it and allowing it to come out, okay? So we need to pray in those moments that we would serve in the gracious way. So to sum it all up, in light of a ticking clock, with the realization that life is short, that the potential, that there's gonna be a lot of challenges in our life, Peter urges us to pray, to love, to speak, to serve. Why? Peter says, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. And those earlier descriptions that he was using in verses 3 and 4, remember he mentioned those things in our past, hopefully, (laughs) Drunkenness, orgies, idolizing other things before God, which we all do. Those were all about getting things that we wanted. Now as followers of Christ, we pray, we love, we speak, we serve for God's glory, not our own. It's a totally different mindset. And we live and love in these ways with the same attitude as Christ, alert and sober-minded. We live in, when we do that, we live in continuity with the larger story. And we talk about like wanting to live in harmony 
with the story that God is playing out as the world goes on, not wanting to be, you know, dissonant. Is that the right word? Yes? You music people? Right? We'd want to be in contradiction to the larger story of God. We want to be in harmony with him. And what's the larger story? The larger story is this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so in light of a ticking clock, live now in that posture of worship and submission as we treat and care for others with the mindset of Christ. Because here's the bottom line, guys. We all have a choice. We all have a choice about how we're going to live and love in this challenging world that God has dropped us into. And so are we living in a way, are we praying in a way, speaking in a way, serving in a way, loving in a way that's drawing other people to Christ? Or is our lack of prayer, our lack of love, our lack of speech, speaking the truth in love, serving others, is it actually pushing people away from Christ? Because it's always doing one or the other. There's no in between. We're either drawing people closer or we're pushing people away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,